Welcome to the Impact Community Podcast, a conversation between pastors and church leaders. Whether you're a seasoned pastor or just a church planner trying to figure things out, none of us were meant to do ministry alone. That's why we have community, community that makes an impact. Welcome to the conversation. Let's talk. Hello, everyone. This is Jerry and Carney. Good to have you guys on today. And uh, we'll wait just a moment until we we get started. Uh, I hope you guys had a great weekend. I know some of you are back in church, and some of you are navigating those those roads to to get back into the building. And so we trust that all of that is is going well, and we're staying safe. We are. Excited about this call today, having two phenomenal friends and and uh, ministers of the gospel to, to share with us today. But uh, thank you for joining. This call has been a a wealth of of knowledge and and wisdom since we uh, begun about two or three months ago. And and I know Paul has already mentioned this, but our podcast is up. And uh, it's getting a lot of views uh, every week from from this call. And so Paul will put that in the link today. If you have not yet downloaded that podcast and you are a podcast guy, please go do that. And uh, you can go back and listen to any of the of the calls that we have had thus far. So take advantage of that for sure. Last week, Brother Gleason was just dynamite. It was so good that. I definitely went back and, and listened to that one this week and used a little bit of it in my Sunday message. That was uh, that was so good. Well, today we are honored to have Brother Scott Sistrump, our North American Missions Director for the United Pentecostal Church, and someone that I have known and admired for a long time. And the closer I get to him, the more I love him. And when we shared the vision of Impact Community with him a couple of years ago, you know, he he bought into our our vision. And and I am happy to tell you that he is that he is a member, a board member of our Impact Community. And uh, we are honored to have him a part of that. He believes in what we're doing, and not only that, he has invested. And what we're doing, and so so honored to, to have him on this call today, and and also evangelist Victor Jackson from Bellevue, Florida, with the Jason Barnum's Church, uh, a great evangelist, revelatory preacher is what I like to say, and uh, he represents our generation well. And today we're going to approach a subject that needs to be approached. Uh, on all levels, specifically in the apostolic church. And that is, that is what we're dealing with across our country uh, with, with racial tension and police brutality and, and all that goes with that. And I have asked uh, Devin Akers to get us started today and to pray for us. And he is going to, um, he is going to guide this conversation between Brother Sistrunk and Brother Jackson. Uh, but thank you guys so much for agreeing to be on this call, and uh, we 
cannot wait to hear what you have to say. And after we get done today, hopefully we will have a time for everyone to uh, ask questions and, and just have a, a, a good conversation before we close out today. Devin, thank you so much for agreeing to guide the conversation, and I'll turn the floor over to you. Absolutely. Thank you guys so much for being on here. And uh, I just want to say full disclosure, uh, one of my best friends in the whole world really is who organized this, and that's Pastor Jamil McLaurin. And if you see him on your screen right now, uh, he is on the move, and he's actually walking through an airport and navigating his way in travel. And so I just got a text from uh, Pastor Paul that we're uh, supposed to uh, pretty much, I'm going to begin this, but I'm going to let Jamil, if you're in a place, Jamil, where you can say a couple of words and kind of give your vision behind this conversation, um, I may say a prayer and then let you take a minute or two and, and get these incredible uh, men started in this conversation, if that works for you, Jamil. So why don't we all just pray together real quick that God would bless us. We certainly uh, need this conversation in this time. So wherever you're at, let's just pray. Jesus, we love you and we thank you so much, Lord, for this opportunity, God, uh, to have a conversation that is so relevant and needed in this time. As the church, God, we know that it's our responsibility uh, to speak on behalf of the marginalized and the broken. Lord, whatever community that may be at the moment or in the time that we live. And God, Above anything, it's our responsibility to advocate for your name and to lift up Jesus. Because, Lord, when you are lifted up, you will draw all men unto you. And I pray that that would be what would happen today in Jesus' name. Amen. Jamil, if you're in a place where you can speak and you'd yeah. like to, take it, man. Yeah, yeah. Well, so honored to be on here with you guys. And I won't take much time because these men are so special. We need to get there quickly. But... uh I just think Brother Jackson has such a, of course, always, like was said, revelatory perspective. And I think he's going to be able to really give us some insight, I think, spiritually into a lot of this. And, and Brother Sistrunk's one of my closest uh, mentors. And he's got a story that I, I'd love for him to share in just a few minutes uh, on this subject. And I think is an authority on this subject as well. And uh, we just want to get started with the first question, uh, which, which we'll direct this at you, Brother Jackson. Uh, and just let you go, whatever you feel led, which is, you know, what are you perceiving or discerning right now uh, is the why behind uh, the, the this particular uh, racial tension. And, you know, what are you discerning spiritually and socially on, on really what's going on or what's behind the scenes of, of how this has played out over the last few weeks? Oh, thank you so much for uh, having me. What an honor and privilege. Thank you so much, Brother Akers, Brother McLaurin, uh, Brother Sistrunk, Brother Carney, such great men of God that I honor and appreciate. Um, everything going on in the world is very biblical. And the Bible has to be the foundation that we approach everything with or we'll be caught in the tide of culture, caught in the wind of culture, which changes all the time. The culture will lead us into hypocrisy if we're not founded on the word of God and if we don't approach this biblically. So one of the things I've shared for years and I've preached uh, for, for years, I, anytime this comes up, I bring out this text in Matthew 24 where Jesus said, in the last days, nations shall rise up against nation and kingdom against kingdom, and there shall be famines and pestilence and earthquakes in diverse places. God said that one of the signs of the end time 
is that races will rise up against, that nations will rise up against other nations. Now that word nations in the Greek is ethnos, which literally means ethnicities, races, different people groups. So Jesus said in the last days that races would rise up against one another, the black against the white, the white against the black, the Spanish, the, the Asian, the European, that there would be racial tension in the end times. And he said that that would be a reflection of the world, but that would not be a reflection of the church. Because he goes on in the same passage and he says that you shall be hated of all nations for my name's sake, that you shall be hated of all races, meaning the very race you defend will be the very race that turns on you for your relationship with Jesus Christ. The very race that you run to defend your own race, it will rise up in this hour and condemn you because of believing in Jesus Christ. And so the church its responsibility is to not get involved in who the culture side they take on. It's about the church being distinct by this show. You know all that all men that shall know that you're my disciples. The church is distinct where it's set apart, where the culture wants us to hate or wants us to go against a specific race or specific person. But the church says, hold on, Jesus loves Donald Trump and Jesus loves Barack Obama. Jesus loves Mike Pence and Jesus loves Nancy Pelosi. And I know that you want me to get involved with your cultural agenda to make me stop loving people, but it's my love for these people that sets me apart. And that's why they want to come and be a part. They're looking at us wondering, hold on, how are black and white and Spanish gathering together in one building? smiling and looking like more family than the physical families represented in the world. It's because the spirit draws together what the world seeks to divide. And I remind you that the same culture that is pushing uh, the racial tension right now that has always existed is the same culture that condemned the Azusa Street Revival for being integrated. Think about it with me. Um, the Azusa Street Revival had women in high leadership authorities more than a decade before women were even allowed to vote. The spirit moved before the law moved. Oh, I'm going to preach on here. I apologize. I, I, help me, Holy Ghost. <laughs> uh, the spirit moved before the law moved. They were integrated more than 50 years before integration was accepted. The spirit moved before the law moved. So if we will get in the spirit and get anchored in Jesus Christ and preach the gospel, which is the answer to every sin, every form of racism, every form of uh, fornication, adultery, the spirit, the spirit will take care of these things. But if you, if we get in the culture agenda, I'm telling you, it's going to shift. And all of a sudden when it shifts, uh, we're we're not gonna we're not gonna have a leg to to stand on. So if we will stay with the message, stay with it, be compassionate for those that have uh, African Americans in your in your church. Is being compassionate where say where you ask them, tell me what you think of everything going on. 
you listen. And then after you listen, you either demonstrate an act of love and say, you're valuable. You're, you are important to this church. We need you. There are people that just want their voice to be heard. You don't have to come out on social media. You don't have to do anything uh, like that. You don't have to feel the pressure to make your voice known on social media. No, to your own congregation. It's saying, how can I help? And when you just open up your ears and say, my ears are open to your concerns. And all of a sudden that rage settles down and there's a peace that comes on them because we are a representative of Jesus Christ. And that is the answer for every situation. And we don't want to get caught up in the culture where we pitch sins against one another, where we debate which one is stronger, which one is more prevalent. But we have an anchor that is the only solution, and that's the gospel of Jesus Christ. Beautiful, beautiful. Thank you. If we don't, if we will, uh, we'll be glad to hypocrisy if we don't do, do things biblically. I love that. Thank you for sharing. I wanted to ask Brother Sistron to, to kind of hit another angle, um, and this is a twofold question. Uh, one being, you know, what do you think we can do as a movement to help this conversation to move things forward? And then also, uh, I just know because you shared it with me and I've seen you share it publicly, you've got really a powerful story that I think gets to the heart of the issue. I've heard it said that, you know, injustice is a, is a legislative or system issue. Racism is a hard issue. And I think we're having a lot of injustice conversations, but maybe missing some heart conversations. So I'd love for you to kind of take both those angles of, hey, here's what I think we can maybe do as a movement. Uh, but then also, you know, maybe even share some of your story about uh, genuine heart change on this subject. Brother Sistrunk, are you there? Yeah, I'm here. Okay. So yeah. now I'm unmuted now. Yeah. yeah. Uh, thank you, Jamil, for uh, inviting me on the call for the Carney Impact Group. Uh, really appreciate everything you guys are doing. Um, Great to be on this call with Brother Victor Jackson. And I will tell you, I'm certainly not qualified to speak on behalf of the black community. I won't attempt it. I can't, uh, I'm just not qualified. So I can tell you what I think, but I can't speak. I can speak on behalf of a Southern white man uh, that has dealt with the racial issue all of my life and uh, even have pastored a completely black church. I can tell you from my perspective, but nothing in my life will ever qualify me to speak on behalf of an African-American and their experiences. But uh, let me tell you my story. Let me start with that. I may not be able to get through it. It's very emotional for me. I've shared it a few times when I felt like it was appropriate. Maybe it'll help somebody here today, but I was raised in Mississippi, seven or eight generations from Mississippi. Um, you know, it was after the civil rights movement. I was born in 66, <clears throat> but so much of that atmosphere was still thick in the air uh, as I was growing up. And, uh, you know, I grew up with these stories, you know, 
cis trunks. We're from Neshoba County. And I don't know if you know uh, the name Edgar Ray Killens, but Edgar Ray Killens orchestrated and masterminded the murder of three civil rights workers, James Cheney, Andrew Goodman, and Michael Swan. They were in a sheriff's car, uh, Killens and his associates. And in the middle of the night, they chased these three young men down, two white guys and one black man chased them down, pulled them over under the auspices of the law, murdered them, buried them in a pond dam, and were not convicted of that crime. Cis um, trunks and killings are buried next to each other in the cemetery in Neshoba County. And you may not know the name Byron D. Beckwith but he used to come into my dad's print shop and he would reenact the murder of Medgar Edvers. He shot Medgar Evers, a civil rights leader, in front of his wife and kids as they were unloading groceries. And Byron D. Beckwith would come in my dad's print shop and say, and aim a fake 30 odd six, which is what he shot Medgar Evers with, and reenact with no guilt that crime. My dad was in the National Guard and he was activated by John F. Kennedy to assist in putting um, uh, James Meredith, the first black man, to integrate Ole Miss. Uh, my dad was nationalized National Guard to go and protect uh, James Meredith. This is the air I grew up breathing my uh, kin folks, my aunt told me that when she was eight years old, she got on a bus and there was a, about a 60 year old black man sitting there and he's, he was trying to be protective uh, and said, help her find a seat. So he moved over so she could sit beside him. And she looked at him at eight year old and said, I'm not sitting by no N-I-G-G-E-R and made him get to the back of the bus. And so, you know, you're raised in that air. I was apostolic. I'm fifth generation apostolic. And, you know, we love God, but didn't really see all of that as abhorrent as it was. You're just kind of raised in that air. And so as I grew, the Lord began to call me to preach. And when I was about 17 years old, I'm from Brother Craft's church, obviously. Those of you from Mississippi know that. And we had, you know, probably half a dozen people get the Holy Ghost every service. I mean, it was somebody in the altar. Altars were full. And so this particular night, the altar call was given and the only person that came forward was about a 13-year-old black girl. And she came up to the altar and nobody followed her up there. And normally when a sinner came to the altar in that particular culture, there'd be five or six people follow them to the altar to pray with them. And so this girl came up by herself. 
Well, I'm sitting on the front row and I'm waiting for somebody to come, maybe some ladies, and nobody comes. And so I stepped over to pray with her and I had never eaten dinner with an African-American. I had never really had an African-American friend. We were separated in Mississippi. And so I had never touched an African-American's hair in my life. And so I went to pray for her and I went to put my hand. Normally I would have laid my hand on her head, but I moved and I was laid my hand on her shoulder. And as I did, the Holy Ghost spoke to me. And the Lord said, I want you to lay your hands on her head like you would anybody else. And I never want to have to talk to you about this again. In that moment, God lifted 17 years of racist attitudes. He, God changed my heart. And I'll tell you something happened to me that transformed me at that moment. And so sometimes people have heart issues they don't know about. Sometimes they have heart issues they do know about. And until we genuinely feel about every race the way God feels about them, we can't model any kind of appropriate behavior. Uh, you, you, you can't model a behavior that you don't live. And so that heart change has to happen for all of us. And I, I hope it has. I hope everybody has dealt with that. That's a sin issue, and we know that, and the church should say that. We should say that. And the, the, the second part of that question was, what can we do? And we can facilitate conversation. This is what we can do right here, and uh, we can talk about it. We should talk about it. Uh, one of the things that impacted me was reading actual stories by actual slaves. You can buy these books. Uh, it was a government project, kind of like uh, Spielberg did with the Holocaust, remembering they interviewed these slaves. And you can read in their own words how they were treated. And then you've got to have a, some close African-American friends that can tell you what it, what's really going on. It's not enough for you to read it in the newspaper. You need to look in somebody's eyes, see the pain. I remember sitting with Jamil. We had a mentoring program, uh, Michigan, uh, what do we call it, Jamil? Michigan Matters or something? Mantle, Michigan Mantle. Mantle. And we had this little uh, game, tell us something that nobody would know about yourself. And so everybody's writing down stuff. And so one of them was read, I've been pulled over by the police 22 times and still haven't received a ticket. You know, I, when, that, when they read that, I'm like, it was kind of funny a little bit, you know, like, oh, man, somebody must really be good at talking their way out of tickets. You know, who could this be? And we're looking around the room trying to figure out who it could be never dawning on us. And then Jamil said, that's me. And all of a sudden, the realization came to me anyway. He's been pulled over 22 times because he's African-American. That's shocking. You can hear 
other people talk about it, but when somebody you know, and you're like, what, what? That will open your eyes. And so if we can facilitate conversations like that, uh, one thing we can do as a movement is get the right people in the room. I, I remember we were sitting at a um, Lone Star Steakhouse uh, one time after a North American missions event and so we're talking about diversity and we're just talking about how we can reach this community, that community. And all of a sudden I said, wait a minute, guys, wait. I said, look around the table. Every one of us around this table are white and we're talking about how to reach black people. Now, how, how is that ever going to be successful? Okay. It, a, a room full of white people can't effectively tell us how to reach uh, African-Americans or native Indians or, or native Americans or whatever you can't, we need to have the right people at the table. The whole purpose of the church is to be a visible witness. God called Abraham, the Old Testament people of God. He said, Abraham, I'm going to uh, make you a blessing. If you'll live like I tell you to live, if you'll obey me, the whole world is going to look at you and they're going to know what to do. Well, that's still our mission today. We're the New Testament people of God. And we're to be a visible witness. We're to be, we're to example these godly principles and to be a visible witness of diversity, a visible witness of tolerance, a visible witness of love. People should look at the church. I, I know I'm taking too too long here, but let me just say this. In South, I was in South Africa for a year, right after Mandela was released from prison and the National Party was still in power. Our churches were still, by law, by South African law, divided into uh, colored, Indian, uh, black, and white. And so we had four general superintendents in South Africa because of the government. Well, when that law was lifted, apartheid was lifted, we, the United Pentecostal Church was the first church to have a joint conference. And long story short, we had our joint conference right next to the National Party, uh, which was the white party in power, the National Party, where has, was having a convention in the same hotel about how to navigate through apartheid. They saw us meeting, and we had a big banner uh, uh, strung across the uh, road there, uh, how good and how pleasant it is for brethren to dwell in unity. And F.W. de Klerk, Nelson Mandela, met with the leaders of our United Pentecostal Church and said, how are you doing it? Now, that's what the world should be doing. They should be coming to us and saying, how are you doing it? It's working for you. So, so powerful. And, um, I know for me, um, I was going to be transparent, you know, every time I hear, I haven't heard that, that length of your story, but every time you talk about that, I get tears welling up in my eyes because, um, you know, even as a, just a young African-American leader, just to hear somebody who doesn't look like me care that much, um, it means a lot. And of course, like brother Jackson said, we're, we are not going to get caught up into all the, uh, the agendas and the narratives, but the truth is the same, that it matters uh, that somebody else cares. And uh, thank you so much for that, but it's just powerful. I want to I want to move over to something that 
you both have touched on, but I think I want to kind of bring it uh, maybe a little more focused in. Uh, and the question is, how do we engage this at the local church level? And I want to give some context, and I've actually talked to both of you about this in, in several conversations, but, you know, all of us, I think, probably have people in our churches that are um, on one extreme of this conversation. I have people in my church that are uh, subscribing to the Black Lives Matter narrative, maybe don't know all the context of it, but are using their social media platforms uh, to really speak with that kind of language. And then there's other people um, in, in our church. I had a, a, a Caucasian uh, doctor in our church. Uh, he's a good man, but really subscribes to, you know, PragerU and, and some of the right-wing um, conservative uh, you know, dogmatic language on, on kind of the other end of the spectrum in this conversation. And all these people are posting on Facebook, you know, engaging. Obviously, there can be heated conversations. There, there is a huge spectrum, I think, in a lot of churches uh, of, of, of the language that's being used on social media and how people are engaging this. So what are your guys' thoughts on how to engage at the local level, how to guide your people on, you know, what to say, how to say it? Um, and what would you do with, you know, somebody on an extreme of this conversation that could, you know, maybe easily offend somebody else that's, that's looking at it from a different lens. So, Brother Jackson, you want to start off, you know, what, what's your, what's your thoughts on, on local church? Um, you know what, uh, the best thing that I could share, uh, in regards to that, um, is my own personal experiences, uh, in my local church. Um, I love what Brother Sistrunk said, uh, everything that he said. Yeah. But I will say um, that Brother Sistrunk is more qualified to speak to Black people than he realizes. Um, and that's for every person on this call. You are a preacher of the gospel. We have been commissioned with a mandate to preach the gospel to all nations. And one of the things is because I've, I've seen it, uh, I've gone to places where uh, they may, a, a black person comes and, uh, and prays through and they only have like one black person in their church. And so a visitor comes that's African-American and they pray through and the person that prays them through is Caucasian and that talked them through, that got them baptized, it's Caucasian. But look what they look what happens. And this is what people don't realize. They they link them up to another black person. Because they feel like this black person will connect to them better, which is not always true. So we have to get that out of our minds that there's somehow an unseen bond between colors. And and that's not true uh, because this person that got baptized, they may be an analytical thinker and you just prayed them through and they got the Holy Ghost and they connect to you better. But the, you look at their skin and you think they'll connect better to someone that's in, extroverted, that's led by their emotions, but it's not true. So you're allowing color to dictate connection. When you have in your spirit already by the Holy Ghost all the connection that you need 
to that vessel. So let me bring it to a local level perspective. When I got the Holy Ghost and we got baptized, the thing that kept me was not just that I was going to Bible studies. Here's what kept me, Brother Jamil. I would come to church. Oh, God. I would come to church. And after church service, there'd be some white people that would come up to me and say, we're cooking at my home. And I want you to come and eat with us and sit at our table. I'm like, who am I? I'm just a stranger. I hadn't even been in church a month. And now I've got white people opening their home to me and treating me like family. I went to sit at their table. They cooked for me. They served food to me. They were kind to me. They said, look, we got night service tonight. Here's a bed. I want you to, I want you to take a nap in between services so you don't have to travel back to your dorm room. And that was the first time, Brother Jamil, that I ever seen a godly family in my life. See, see, people think, white people think that they can't connect because they've never been through anything. But sometimes the example of having a godly marriage and caring for people ministers to more people, more black people than you can imagine. I was raised in a single parent household. I was abused as a child for the first 11 years of my life. All I know was depression and dysfunction. And now I got a family that doesn't even know me opening their home, cooking for me. And then I had a Latino family opening their home to cook for me, sharing, sharing the love of God with me. And it was more than just Bible studies that kept me coming to church. It was that the church opened their doors to me and they treated me like I was family. We're not trying to be treated. People aren't trying to be treated according to how they look. They just want to be treated like family. And to this day, I can name off families, the Spanish family, the Freites, the Hearst family, the Curry family, all these people, they never taught me a Bible study. All they did was open their home to me. And if we can push those small groups, oh Lord, if we can push families to open their homes to different ethnicities, to fellowship, to have conversations, family Pentecost is what's different than any other denomination because Pentecost church is not an event, it's a family. And it's that family, that family concept that's going to break the tension that's in the world. It's that acts, those acts of love. And so let me minister, and I'm going to let Brother Sistrunk take this. Let me minister to every person that's listening to this. You are more qualified than you think you are. My pastor is white. And my pastor loves me just like he loves any other saint. My bishop is white and they care for me just like they care for any other saint. I go sit at their tables. Every time I'm in town, I go sit at their table and fellowship with them. I am a son in the gospel and they don't treat me any differently from anybody. And if my white pastor could pastor me and minister to me, you are more qualified than you think to speak on behalf of every nationality and every, every kindred and every tongue 
because we were pushing the central message of Jesus Christ. That's what makes Jesus so, so amazing. It's his blood, it's his name, it's his spirit that gives us the connection beyond our cultural background, beyond our ethnicity, beyond where we came from. So if we could start facilitating acts of love between ethnicities, between uh, different, different cultures, celebrating the unique ways that they cook on All Nations Sunday, having them all cook their own dishes and celebrate. All of these different things can facilitate a unity and a family feeling in that. And I'll let Brother Sistra speak more to the practical side. So so good. I'll tell you something real practical. I made a huge mistake, Brother Jackson, because I didn't realize what you were just saying started a church in the inner city of Detroit, and I was told by uh, some leaders who were white, okay, <laughs> and you know, they, they said, you can't pastor in Detroit. The zip code that I was starting a church in had 52,000 people in it, the zip code in the city, and it had listed 853 white people. The rest of them were African-American. Okay. And so uh, they, they told me, you can't pastor in this, that, that you need a black man to pastor. And so I just took that as, you know, I, what do I know? I didn't understand why God took a guy from Mississippi and put him in Detroit in the first place. I had no idea. So I was receptive to that message because I had my own doubts, right? And so I listened. And and I made a mistake. That was my third church to plant. I know what it takes to turn a church over and what, what kind of leader they need to be. But I found a black man and I'm like, this is it. I got to turn this church over to this black man because, and you know, and I can't believe it looking back that I'm so stuck in thinking about skin color, which is so wrong. But anyway, uh, I did. And you know what? In three months, the church closed down and I had to start over. And when I did, the Lord said, you're listening to the wrong people. I called you down there. I did. I called you. I didn't call anybody else. So don't say you can't do it if I called you down there to do it. And so I got rid of that out of my mind, and I started pastoring and loving those people, and I found exactly what you said, Brother uh, Jackson, that that's, we don't, we did I'm telling you, I pastored at an entirely black church for five years. We had very few conversations about race. We just loved one another, okay? And we just lived it out. We didn't have to talk about it. We lived it out. Now, you could pick up some things in their stories and in and things and, and, and getting to know them, but you don't have to always have a round table about race, okay? You just live with people. And I think that that is some of the best advice, just love people, you know, love people, no matter, and, and let, that, uh, uh, let that distinction go away, it's just people. Um, the other thing, I think is to humility, sensitivity. What we're seeing right now is people getting offended because people get offended. <laughs> you know? if, if I say something that offends you, I'm sorry. I'm not going to get offended that you got offended by something I said. If I said something 
that caused an offense, please forgive me. I'm going to accept that your offense is real and I'm going to correct the behavior, okay? Um, I could tell you a lot of stories about that, that I said the wrong thing, people got offended. Well, the answer is to apologize, okay? Not condemn them for being offended, you know, um, avoid the political. It's already been said, but man, this politics is a devil's way of ruling the world. The church is God's way of ruling the world. Politics has nothing really to say about this. They're, they can debate it all they want to. Politics can't change heart issues, right? So in Ann Arbor, we rented, our first church I started, we rented from a church with a gay pastor. So we had to take the rainbow flag down every Sunday, put it aside. And so they called themselves open and affirming. And so they wanted to know what I felt, you know, about homosexuals. So they sent a board member to me. And so I said to them, I said, well, we are open, but not affirming. And he kind of looked at me. I said, we are open to all people coming. We love them, but we don't affirm that. You know, Black Lives Matter, so I know they stand for some things, but you know what? What's the truth? Black Lives Matter, right? Okay, so cut through the politics. They're open and affirming. I know what they mean by that. They, they think homosexuals should be accepted in the full community of the church. I don't believe that, but I am open to homosexuals coming, right? So we have to navigate through and not let the political discourse bleed into the church. And that's difficult sometimes. I was preaching in Detroit one day and I'm just preaching about sin and how bad this country, what kind of shape it's in. And, and um, uh, the little black lady with a hat, she says, it's because of Obama. <laughs> so I said, well, I said, Mother Jackson says it's because of Obama and just kept preaching. You know, <laughs> you've got African-Americans are not monolithic. Okay. Neither are Caucasians. So you, you just because, you know, you, you just got to look at individuals, you know, and on a local level, just listen, uh, listen and be sensitive. I, I guess that's the best advice that I, I know how to give on how to do it. Yeah, that's, that's great. That's powerful. And, uh, you know, I, I know that certain places, there may be more extremes on either side of this, but uh, I did want to ask you, Brother Sistrunk, you know, and I'm going to say specifically from a Caucasian pastor, right? You have a, I think right now, there definitely is that offense culture. We know that's prophetic. We know Matthew 24 tells us it's going to happen, but there is that, um, that just that spirit of offense that is run rampant. I know for me, I know I've dealt with it with, again, maybe a Caucasian person in our church being offended or, or having an offended lens and thinking that I'm trying to say something I'm not. For you, you know, talking to the Caucasian pastors that are on the call right now, you know, how, what, give us a practical breakdown of the conversation between you and that offended African-American in your church that comes forward, you know, this week and, and kind of has an edge to them, you know, about the whole thing. 
what what are you saying? You know, because I I have heard a lot, uh, even from African Americans, that just going to the, you know, racism is sin. Let's just be family. It makes it feel a little dismissive at times. And so, is there anything that you would specifically say to not come across dismissively, uh, but to engage it? What What does that look like for you this week, practically, for an African American church that maybe does have a little edge to them in this conversation? Man, I, I will tell you, I, I've watched, let's, let's be real, I've watched some of the social media uh, over the last couple weeks, my main feed, and then I've been even on some minister-only forums. And, and here's one thing I don't understand. I don't understand why Caucasian pastors can't put down their political feelings for just a few minutes and feel somebody else's pain. I mean, what is so important about uh, you getting your talking points across? What are you threatened by that you can't look in that person's eyes and feel their pain and affirm them and say, you know, George Floyd's death was a travesty. And I'm, you know, just humanity. I mean, I, I don't get it. I, I don't, but so it's hard for me to address it, but I don't get it. I don't get, I get it. I, I suppose the, the main liberal agenda, you know, uh, that trying to, I, I, I try to stay out of that. I can't, I, you know, it seems like a lot of, and, and I'm just going to speak from the U this is, I'm speaking probably too candidly and, you know, talking racial politics and racial issues is kind of like preaching about sex. You're going to say something wrong that somebody can, you know, make a double entendre out of or whatever, but, uh, okay. Be conservative, but it doesn't, Democrats go to heaven too. Republicans go to heaven. This is not, uh, you've got to love Democrats. I've, I've reached Democrats my whole life. Ann Arbor was the most liberal city in Michigan and maybe in America. Unions, auto workers in Detroit, all Democrat. African-Americans, predominantly Democrat. I've, I've been reaching and pastoring Democrats all my life. I don't understand why uh, you... You know, somebody posted on one of the forums this week, we're all ministers here, so uh, Pentecrats, you know, are an abomination, like Pentecostals who are Democrats are an abomination. Well, how do you use that language? How does that, you got to get, you got to pray through that. You got to pray through that. The spirit of politics right now is, is, is just incredible. It's got to get out of the church. And if you approach that broken African-American that's feeling this pain relating to George Floyd, you, you exhibit to them for a second that you're part of this system. You lose all your credibility as a pastor. Okay. And so you have to be a pastor and a minister and you've got to get rid of all of that political stuff. It's it, that, that's what I would say. And if you're not go pray through. Yeah. Thank you so much. Um, and I, I've heard it said by a, a prominent African-American leader in our movement that 
you know, everybody has to leave their culture to become part of the kingdom culture. You know? And African Americans have to do that. And so do, you know, Caucasian people have to do that. And some of the political rhetoric is more ethnic cultured than it is kingdom culture. And so I think, I, I just appreciate you sharing that. We do want to open up for Q&A in just a second. We've got about 12 minutes left and we'll do that. Um, I, I, I will ask Brother Jackson, uh, just, I, I want to make sure you get to speak on that last question. Um, if you have anything else to say, I, you know, I know you, you mentioned earlier in this conversation, the whole act of love thing. You mentioned that to me a couple, maybe a week or so ago. It was such a powerful uh, thought. But any, any other ideas that you just want to throw out before we go to open Q&A about, you know, how to deal with the offended uh, person on, on whichever wing, right? The, the offended um, Caucasian in the church that's offended about um, you know, systematic racism doesn't exist, or whatever, whatever that theme is, or the offended person who's you know on the African American side. Any other thought? Uh, maybe the act of love statement, or, or how to navigate that. Um, my biggest thing is um, you could take a look too. My biggest thing is um, it's like what Brother Sistrunk said, and a man just uh, appreciate all the ministers on this on this call and. Uh, just very edifying uh, the, the things that Brother Sistrunk has addressed and, and uh, a light that uh, I've never I've never really seen or heard spoken of. And so I appreciate him uh, for his voice and his sincerity and uh, his leadership uh, in our movement. Just appreciate that so much. And it's the biggest thing that he said is just humility. Anytime I have if I offend anyone, whether black or white, my first instinct is to humble myself and ask them, "Absolutely, what have I done wrong? Uh, I apologize. I humble myself. Uh, if I'm preaching and, and it, it was an anointed message and, and uh, I was led by God, but I, I hurt somebody's feelings and they let me know about it, the first thing I'm gonna do is say, I apologize. I was trying my best to follow God, but I had no intention on hurting you. And literally, I, I have washed people's feet that way. I've washed another minister's foot, feet, because uh, uh, he was uh, offended at me, at me. And I just wanted to do whatever I could do there to, for there to be reconciliation. And that's where we got to get to. We have to get to the place where we're doing whatever we need to do for there to be reconciliation. And that's not going to be getting, I, I'd rather be reconciled than be right. And that's yeah. where we got to get to that place. We got to get to that place where we rather there be reconciliation than to push my point uh, to the point to where I bruise somebody. Um, and so, it's just about humbling ourselves and it doesn't feel the best, but I'm telling you, it breaks that tension uh, where people are so enthralled and so enamored and so filled with what's going on in the world. There's something about humbling ourselves and uh, honoring them and loving them. Love just somehow breaks that chain. And, uh, and I hope that that helps some. Uh, absolutely. Thank you for sharing. Thank you for sharing. 
Does anybody have any uh, any any questions? Anybody have anything that they would like to they'd like to ask these these two amazing men of God? Yeah, I have a question um, for for either of you, whoever feels to answer it. I um, have a great uh, my right hand people in our church are um, a mixed couple. Um, my youth pastor Marcus Harris is as good as it gets. Um, and then his wife, um, they have two small children and, um, the struggle for me sometimes is she is very active on Facebook. Um, I hate Facebook, uh, but she's very active on Facebook and I, sometimes it's a struggle because she will, um, share, repost things that are a little divisive, although they might be true, almost like what you just said, Brother Jackson, reconciliation or right. Some of it might be right. It might be laced with, with right, but it's divisive in spirit. And in the past, I've had to call and say, hey, listen, as a, as a staff member at our church, we have a responsibility and we kind of forego our freedom of speech on social media for the, uh, to, to uphold the betterment of our church. And, and, and that's kind of been our policy in this. I've got to be careful because I'm seeing sensitivity that I've never seen before. And, and, um, let me just say there's, there's uh, I see a need to be aware, but I also struggle because I don't, I don't want to cause more division and put and, and for someone to put themselves out there and be a target. And so, um, what, what would you recommend in that, um, uh, in that situation. Um, and it's what I said about, um, you know, nation rise up against nation, um, that, that that's a sign of the world, not the church, because it's not, it's not really wise to take sides publicly because if you take the white person's side, there's people that won't want to come to your church because they believe you're racist. Uh, if you take the black person's side publicly, you know, there's people that won't want to come to your church because they believe you're racist. And so the church has to be distinct. And so you mentioned something about that's not our policy. And I was already thinking about maybe in leadership, having something that they sign that holds them accountable, says now that you don't post anything that reflects negatively upon the church. Um, because the, the, the reason I say that is because before someone gets hired anywhere, the world goes all the way back to like a 10, 20 year history in social media to make sure they didn't post anything bad that could come back and, and hurt the business. So right now, employers are doing their research into social media forums to make sure that they don't say anything uh, that reflects negatively upon the business. So I, before someone is hired or, or something like that, maybe that should be said almost even in writing, almost yes. like a platform code uh, that I, you, I understand you have opinions. We respect those opinions. We love you. But we don't want the church to be crucified by your opinion. And so uh, if we can think about some type of policy, something to sign uh, like that, that can uh, help the church and uh, let there be 
you know, those warnings like you gave because in leadership, they have to be held accountable uh, because that's going to be the souls of, of uh, other people, you know, on their, on their hands, you know? And so we don't want, the last thing we want is somebody tripping over our opinion on the way to the cross. And so I would just, yeah. I would just uh, love, love them and just let them know that's what comes with leadership and uh, just emphasize that unity in the pulpit for the whole body. Uh, just how we're, we're taking Jesus side and Jesus is the answer for the world. And uh, does that kind of help some? Oh, yes, definitely. Definitely. And what you said was amazing. Don't let someone trip over your opinion on your way to the cross. And I believe there is much of that that's happened. But this is drunk. Sorry. Well, you know, I've, I've, I've practiced that for years even, and, and this would offend some people, even in the LGBT wars, uh, where you said, well, that's a clear moral issue. You should be standing up against abortion. You should be standing up against the LGBT uh agenda on your Facebook. No, I'm trying to reach people who are LGBT and I'm trying to reach people who's had abortions. I, I don't want them having to trip over and, and, and get any indication that they're going to be unwelcome in my church. And, and so I, I'm going to preach against sin. I'm going to teach them when they get converted, I'm going to teach them that that's wrong. Okay, I'm not insecure about that. I don't have to declare on Facebook that I think homosexuality is wrong. I'm not insecure in what I believe that, you know, I am trying to reach people and that's the bottom line. So, so good. Thank you, Brother Sister and, and Brother Jackson. So good. We have three minutes left. Anybody have a quick question that they want to sneak in here? We're, we're cutting it close, but anybody have a quick question? They want to rush off. So, well, um, thank you guys so much for coming, and I, I'll pass it back to Brother Carney. I did just want to comment and say this. Um, you know, I have some close friends that are uh, uh, prominent leaders in African American Pentecostal groups uh, that have uh, that have reached out to me in the last few weeks. Um, you know, questioning. Uh, the United Pentecostal Church or, or asking me questions about being a part of it. And I just wanted to make sure I got to say to the amazing people on this call, it's been an awesome experience for me to get to turn around to people reaching out to me and say, you know, that I've got amazing brothers and sisters in Christ that have treated me so well in our movement. Uh, and, you know, my best friend in the world, Devin Akers on this call, uh, is, has, uh, it just treated me like, like gold since the moment I met him. And there's so many people uh, that mean a lot, whether it's Brother Sistrunk, probably my closest mentor in the world, the, the people on this call. And, and I, I just wanted to make that comment uh, that there is a lot of people out there wondering how we are putting this together, wondering how we fit together somehow. And, and again, some of these men that have reached out to me are pretty prominent in different groups. And uh, it's been amazing to be in this time of racial division to be able to confidently say uh, that, I, you know, not that there's not issues and not that I haven't dealt with issues, but the men that I'm around, the men on this call have been amazing. And, and uh, thank you all so much for joining this conversation. This is part of the reason why uh, we are who we are as a movement. So thank you. And Brother Carney, I'll pass it to you. Thank you, Jamil. And I really appreciate you lining up the call. Huge thanks to Brother Sistrunk and Brother Jackson for being transparent 
and speaking truth uh, to all of us today. I, I'm going to be a better pastor as a result of this conversation, and I'm going to be a better person. And uh, I can relate to Brother Sistrunk's son growing up in South Mississippi. Uh, but regardless of, of politics or upbringing, the church is the answer. Amen. I'm so thankful that I'm a part of the apostolic church. And uh, we, we pastor probably the only multiracial, multi-ethnic church in our community. And that's, that's a beautiful thing. And we want to be a part of the solution. And uh, we want to help, help bring the answer. And, and Jesus is the answer. And uh, thank you guys for, for joining us today. Again, thank you for the sister. I wish we could all unmute and just give you a big round of applause for this today. This was huge. And uh, thank you, Jamil. We love you guys. And uh, check out our podcast. The link is in the comments. And we hope to see you again next Monday. God bless. Hey, brother.